0: Again, what a joy it is to be with you. I hope that you have had a great day today. We had a great time this morning in the Bible class and then had a great period of fellowship together as we had lunch. And I trust that you had a good day at home or at the office or wherever you were today. Before we get started, I want to again thank you for having me. I have said that this place feels like home, my home away from home, my Mississippi home, and I'm glad to be here. I appreciate your good shepherds and Brother Mike as you have asked us to be back. I spoke with Tammy today as usual, and she sends her regards. As a matter of fact, Tammy and Ellie are at home tonight, and they are streaming. So uh, see, I'm here, and I'm being good, and I'll be home just as soon as I can. Tell Peanut and Harley, that's the two dogs that I said would not live in my house that sleep in my bed when I'm gone. (coughs) But uh, a treat I had today is I got to talk to my dear, dear friend and brother, Bill Powers. Bill and Melody are, who introduced us to this congregation. Uh, They lived here and Bill was transferred back to Washington, D.C. with his work and uh, so they streamed last night, and they're streaming tonight, Bill and Melody and Jack and Maddie in first and second grade, and uh, so it's good to know that they're with us also, and uh, we look forward to seeing them. Bill said that if spring break for the children had coincided, they had planned on being here this week, and I know it would have been a treat for you as it would for me. (coughs) Many miles separate us. And uh, We don't get to talk to each other as frequently as I would wish, but when I do pick up the phone and am able to talk with Bill, it's just like where we left off. No doubt, no doubt, on the other side, Bill and I, along with our families, will hang out in eternity together, and I look forward to that time. I came this week and been preparing and studying for a message on activating the book of Acts. Brother Peter said repetition is good to remind us and this week I have intended to remind us that we have a monumental task. A task of evangelizing this world. An opportunity to get the gospel to every creature in this world. I believe for way too long, for many decades, we have done things that have not enabled us to get that message out. I believe that we can and I believe that we will. God is waiting for us. Those who are His children. Those who are the blood bought. Those whom Jesus has redeemed with His blood. Those of us who have been immersed in water for the remission of our sins. Based upon our belief in the fact that Jesus of Nazareth, Mary, Joseph's son, is indeed the Son of God. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Drop down to verse number 14, and it identifies Him specifically. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Those who have been saved based upon their belief, their repentance, an attitude change which brings on a change of life. It's manifested in our behavior We no longer walk in sin. We're no longer a slave, Romans chapter 6, to sin. But because of our repentance, our attitude change, based upon our belief in Jesus, we are taking ourselves to be those who are saved to the point where God saves us. You believe that Jesus is. Repent of your sins. Make that confession that you believe with your mouth and then not only with your mouth but with your lifestyle. And then you're immersed. That's where God does His work. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It's where the blood that Jesus shed, where we meet it. Look at Romans 6, where we obey that form of doctrine, that pattern of teaching, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Those of us who are the saved, God has entrusted with His precious message. And I believe that He's waiting on us to come to Him with our heartfelt prayers, with our attitude of we will work and work and work to get the message out and He will bless us beyond our comprehension. I believe we've been navel-gazers for way too long. We've been looking on the inside, looking at ourselves seeing what's wrong with the other, what's right with the other. We've been picking fights. We've been merging. We've been splitting. We've been doing all the things from within while the world has gone unchecked with the gospel. We've sat back on our couches of self-righteousness, and we have allowed our history to be that which identifies us rather than our future. We talk about how the church grew back in the day. Well, I don't live back in the day. I live in the now. And we've got to get busy. And so this week, we've talked about it. We started off Sunday morning with the attitude that it can be done. And I'm reminding you because reminding is beneficial. If you've got the rotten, stinking attitude that we can't get the job done, you're at the wrong place. If you're not willing to change your attitude, you're most definitely at the wrong place. If you're in the process of changing your attitude from a we can't do it to a we can, you're in the right place. And if you've got the attitude that we will do it, join with me and let's get the job done because we can get this old world evangelized. Sunday morning we looked at the fact that we're where the disciples were. They were lost. He was dead. They had seen him buried, beaten, and slain. And on that first day of the week, prior or post the crucifixion of Jesus, they were behind closed doors, scared to death. I believe that that is a good mark of where the church is today. And we decided if we would let Jesus step in our life, like he stepped in that room and in their lives, that he would make such a change in us, that we would be on the go from now on. Sunday afternoon we looked at it. It was against all odds that they did it. I mean, everything was against them from the government to their families. They were hindered in way after way, a doctrine that was false, an old way they were trying to bring in some of those who were not Christians, the Jews were hanging on to that old law and trying to infiltrate the church. They didn't even have recognition as the body of Christ in that first century. Go to the end of Acts. You'll see they were just recognized by the world as another division among the Jews. But against all the odds, that ragtag team of 12 men got the message to all the world. Last night, we looked at how they went from fearful to fearless. They had a fearless leader. They were fearless because of their prayer power. And they were fearless to get the job done. They stood in opposition and they got it done. Church, we've got to be fearless. Tonight, I want us to look at something very briefly about that Acts Church that I believe is applicable to us today that we will and we can get the job done if we just will. It's not about brick and mortar. It's in flesh and blood. Where I worship and work and am privileged to work with the congregation at Fayetteville, I love my brethren there. They're his closest family and I must admit, as much as I enjoy being with you, I sure do miss being with them. I talked to the office manager today, who we worked together as a great team, and Susie said, Jeff, Ronnie's flat of his back. He's hurt his back. Jim's got pneumonia. Dear friends of ours there, uh, their dog died. And that's important, especially if you've loved the dog for 10 years. And they were just having a tough time. And boy, I just miss them. I miss my family there. And one of the great assets that we have in Fayetteville at that congregation is we have a tremendous facility. It's beautiful. God blessed that congregation uh, with resources, with the men who and women who had vision to put a landmark building in that community. I can walk up on the square or go to any restaurant and say, I'm Jeff Wilder, I preach at the Church of Christ here in Fayetteville. Nine times out of ten, they'll say, Oh, that's that beautiful building on Red Wine. And it is. It's beautiful. As a matter of fact, it's one of the few congregations of the Lord's people where they've got a building it has got an elevator in it. I just love the elevator. I go missing sometimes, and Susie comes looking for me. I'm playing on the elevator. I just love that elevator. <clears throat> I was getting ready to leave one Sunday afternoon to go have lunch. You know, the Sunday afternoon, you get up early in the morning, you can't wait to get with the saints and worship, you study God's Word prior to that, and then you go have lunch, and then you have that treasured Sunday afternoon nap. Well, I was getting ready to leave, and someone pulled in our parking lot, rolled down their window, and they said, Sir, and I said, Yes. I said, How are you? Good to see you. My name's Jeff. I'm the preacher here. He said, Well, Sir, I came. I want to see your church. Well, I knew what he was talking about. But I wanted to take advantage of the opportunity, and I said, well, sir, you'll have to come back tonight because the church has left the building. Brethren, I believe that we have got to take on that attitude now more than ever. I want you to think about what the early church did. Take your copy of the text, and I want you to go to Acts chapter 2. And I want us to look at that early church and what they were doing and how they viewed themselves. We have a mission from Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, go into all nations. Go, he said. In Mark 16, 16, go, he said. And we have been as God's people, our heritage takes us all the way back to Father Abraham, that God has had us as a going people. We are on the go. And in our day and age, we're on the go with a message, the saving message of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a sin problem that is enormous. Sin in the eyes of God is so devastating, so heinous, that he can't even look upon it. He cannot have fellowship with sin. God and sin don't mix. God doesn't dabble in sin. Because of our choice to sin, God sent a Savior, His Son. He became flesh, became one of us. The most emptying passages in all of the Scriptures in Philippians chapter 2, Go look at it. Heaven emptied itself. Jesus emptied Himself and became one of us because of our sin problem. Motivated by the love of God manifested in His grace giving us what we don't deserve. We have Jesus living in the flesh. And He came to redeem us because of our heinous sin problem. Brother Paul summed it up as he wrote our brethren at Corinth, answering their many questions. A church with problems, they were carnal, they were divided. You know all the issues they had there. Paul said the answer to all your problem is love. And then he went on and he talked about a great day. But he began chapter 15 by talking about the core of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our King Jesus. And in that process, Jesus built a church where he would put the saved. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Added to the called out, the ecclesia, the place where the saved dwell, the church. And he entrusted us with that message of Jesus the Christ, God himself, God in the flesh, crucified, for our sins. You see, sin demands a payback. What did Paul say? In Romans chapter 6 The wages, the paycheck, the return, the wages of sin is death. And Jesus came to give us life. And you see, we have that message of a crucified and risen Savior that we are to be on the go with into all the world. Our first century brethren did it. Persecuted. And we look at it as progress because they left the catacombs and they went to the cathedrals. We've left the battleship and gone to the cruise ship. We've left the battlefield and the tents and gone to our high towers and penthouses. You see, we've got to take the message back out and make it a going message. You see, what we're doing, church, is we're not taking the message to the people. We're not on the go. We want them to be on the come. Come to church with me. You see, we have held captive the gospel of Jesus Christ in brick and mortar when it belongs in flesh and blood out there on the battlefield. I want to explore that. Look at our brethren in Acts chapter 2. I want you to notice what they were doing. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized. They were immersed. I wish that our translation had never transliterated that old word, baptismo. I wish they would have translated it and made it immersed because that's what, a bapti- what baptism is. It's immersion in water to be dipped, to plunged, to put under. It's like a death, a burial, and a resurrection. And those in the first century, they were immersed for the remission of their sin, And they were added that same day. It was Pentecost. It was the first of the Sabbath week, the week, the first day. And they that gladly received the message of Jesus Christ were immersed and added unto them about 3,000. And watch this. And they continued steadfastly. They stayed at it. In the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, key word, in fellowship, Put a peg there. If I were to take a survey of the audience tonight and ask you, when I say the word fellowship, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? The majority of us are going to say eating. I didn't get this way not liking fellowship. But we've missed the boat. If we're going to be the first century church and if we're going to get the job done, we're going to be heavily involved in fellowship. I'm going to discuss that in a minute just a little bit more. They were involved in fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. And I want you to notice what they did in verse number 43. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together. And they had all things in common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men and every man that had need. And they continued daily. Who are they? The ecclesia, the called out. Those who had been saved. Well, who were they? Those that had believed and were immersed. They were together daily in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from church building to church building. Isn't that what it says? From house to house. And they did eat their meat with gladness and with singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. There's a key phrase in there or a key word that we see continuously and brethren, I believe when we get the idea that the church is flesh and blood, we're a spiritual entity. I understand that, and I'm not here to discuss that tonight. We are spiritual, but right now, we're flesh and blood. If you don't believe it, just pull a knife out and cut yourself. And the church is not about brick and mortar. Notice what they were. They were together daily. Togetherness has power, especially among God's people. Togetherness enables us to move forward. Togetherness helps us to know that we're not in this battle by ourselves. That it's not left up to me individually, though I have to participate as an individual, but it is left up to us collectively, to get this message to all the world. And if we're going to do it, we've got to do it together and we've got to do it continually. We've got to be at it daily. And that first century church was. Even up to the Hebrew exhortation, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 13, let's take the time and go there. I promise I won't keep you too late tonight and if I do and you got to get up and go to work early in the morning, well, just do it. You can sleep when you're dead. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 3. I want you to begin in about verse number 12 because it's important that we begin to see that the church wasn't captured held captive by a building. Take heed, brethren, pay attention. Take heed brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. read this exhortation that was giving in its continual, willful, unrepented sin that will cost the Christian their soul. continual, unrepented, willful sin. And the one given the exhortation here says, take heed, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Verse 13. But, if y'all haven't figured out, I am not an English major. I barely can speak English. I'm well-versed in Southern English. I know what y'all means. I know the plural of y'all. The plural of y'all is all 'all. (laughs) y'all. But I do know enough about English to know that in this structure of this sentence and this thought, there's a conjunction. That's a word that joins two thoughts together. And the word but is a strong contrast to that which was just said. In the original language, a very, very strong contrast would be Allah. Alpha, Lambda, Lambda, Alpha, Allah. But, the writer says, concerning this evil heart of unbelief, but, exhort one another. Watch that. Exhort one another. In plain Southern English, that means this keep each other in check. If you see somebody stepping out of bounds, grab them. Do an intervention to stop that behavior which could cost them a heart of unbelief. Do whatever it takes. If you see somebody diving into sin, stop them. Your brethren, your team, your family. But exhort one another. On Sunday morning when you come to Bible class, get there five minutes early. Better yet, get there five minutes late and you just have to exhort between Bible class and worship. It's about 15 minutes. And you can do that as you're going in and out of the restroom. Isn't that what it says? And if you're not too busy and don't have a ball game or your kids don't have something that they're involved in, extracurricular, because you see... Church is your life. It's not something we do. It's who we are. So if you happen to make it on Wednesday night, exhort them on Wednesday night, but exhort one another on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Isn't that what it says? Because we're dealing with the possibility of falling into the trap of continual willful unrepented sin which will result in a heart of unbelief which will cost you your soul, and your soul is so valuable because I value my soul that I'm going to exhort you. Look what he says. Exhort one another daily while it's called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Church, we've got to quit viewing this building as our only time together I'm not against buildings I think that they are good the church has a command to gather on the first day of the week Acts chapter 20 we see the example the church at Corinth came together using the supper as their calling card for to come together on the first of the week to to, to use that supper to look backward to the cross, to look inward, to look outward to the world. We proclaim His death. What is His death? The core of the gospel. Our supper time with the King is evangelistic in nature because we look back, we look in, we look out, and we look up. Till He comes. We proclaim His death till He comes. And that early church met on the first day of the week. And the fact that we today are commanded to do the same and we long to do the same with our family, it becomes necessary for us to have a gathering place. Therefore, under the command of gather together, our shepherds have authority for expediency to build a building for us to do that in. But church, this is just a rallying place. This isn't where the job's going to get done. We've got to get together out there. Why? Because out there is where the lost souls are. We are to go to them. We've got to kill this mindset if we've got to bring them in this building. We've got to go to them. Go with me, if you will, to 2 Thessalonians. I want you to get a picture of who the lost are. We villainize the lost. They're the bad guys. They're not the bad guys. They're your neighbors. They're your friends. Perhaps they're your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter. Perhaps the lost may be your husband or your wife. And yet, as a general population, we want to villainize the lost when in reality, they are our target because of the love we have for souls. Remember what Jesus said, What is a man profited if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Folks, we're in a battle over the souls of men, watch this, and women beginning with yours and if you love your soul you'll be motivated to love the souls of men and women and the lost will not be the bad guys but the lost will be those that we attempt to minister and ministry simply means this that you pick people up where they are and you take them to the foot of Jesus how lost are the lost who are the lost Brother Brother Paul writing our brethren at Thessalonica chapter 1 verse 7 And to you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God There's the lost they will be the target of God's wrath because He has no choice being the just God that He is to pronounce judgment upon those who are not saved by the blood of His Son. Why? Because of sin. I've already talked about sin. Those who know not God, number two, and they that obey not the gospel, Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have heard and don't obey, and those who don't even know about Him. That's how lost the lost are. They'll be the recipients of God's wrath upon sin. And you and I have got to get the word out so that they will not be the recipients. And we've got to lead them. To obedience. Remember when Brother Paul was dealing with the church at Rome? He started off, and as he gives that beautiful, beautiful lesson in that letter to them about the law is of none effect, that Christ is. He begins by pointing out to us Gentiles that because of the sin we're involved in, we're without excuse. We're without excuse. And he lists some of the sins. Oh, the sin is awful. Go read Romans 1. Things that it was so debased in the fact that we had left God's plan for us. That the very body he created us and blessed us with, we had started using it for such immoral acts. Why? To talk about it, it's not even appropriate in a mixed audience. He says, Gentiles, you're without excuse. And then he goes to our uh, Jewish friends. And he says, you sit in judgment of these people and you're without excuse too. But in that process, he says something. Do you not know that the righteousness of God leadeth to repentance? Brethren, we've got to not only share the gospel But we've got to present it in such a convincing way. Out there on the field where the people are, they're not here, they're out there. And together we march triumphantly on the battlefield, sharing the gospel with people. And not only do we tell them the message, but we demonstrate the goodness and the righteousness of God. And we persuade them with our life hidden in Christ, Colossians 1. Jesus is the answer. But you see, we only look at our rallying point as here. Our contact with each other only takes place under this build of roof, in this place. And yet, if we're going to get the job done, we've got to have a continual togetherness in the effort of sharing the message. Read Paul's letters. Paul always had somebody with him. Paul had an entourage of friends. Togetherness. When he was locked up in, in his own house, his house stayed busy with togetherness. Why? Because there is power in togetherness. Church, we've got to realize the church is not brick and mortar. It is flesh and blood. And we've got to continually be together. We've got to be together in sharing the gospel. We've got to be together putting the word out there. And we've got to be together fighting for each other on the battlefield. Folks... If the devil ain't got you, he's after you. We're his targeted population. You've heard me say this before. And I want to keep us reminded of this because the devil wants us, those who are saved. And we must be on the battlefield. And it's not in the huddle where the advancement takes place, it's on the battlefield. And we are at war. Ephesians chapter 6, Brother Paul tells the church, inspired of God, that we are at war and we must arm ourselves. Go in your copy of the text to Ephesians chapter 6. I love the book of Ephesians. We know more about the church at Ephesus than we do any other New Testament congregation. Paul writes them this letter, and it's so beautiful. The first half of this letter deals with the doctrine. The second half of this letter is very practical. He winds it up by making us aware that this is a daily, continual battle that we fight together. Watch this. Chapter 6, verse 10. finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on In the evil day. And having done all to stand. I love this. And having done all to stand. Stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. The gospel of peace he says. Verse 16. Above all. Taking the shield of faith, wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Watch this. Praying always with all prayer, conversations with God, supplications, making your requests, your needs, your wants, supplications in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Folks, we're on the battlefield together. The shepherds at Fayetteville asked me to do a series on the spiritual armor and I am in the process of doing that and I won't go through that series with you tonight. But when we arm ourselves appropriately and we hold each other's back, the devil doesn't have a chance. And church, if we're going to get this message out to the world, we've got to quit inviting them to come in here and we've got to go out there where they are, where they are lost. Because they're ignorant and they're rebellious and we've got to hold each other's back on the battlefield fighting the devil for our souls and the souls of men and women and we've got to take the message. And folks, it's time, it's past time, it's high time that we get out of this brick and mortar and realize that we in the flesh are the church, the blood-bought, and we get the message to all the world, Why are we still sitting here? And we're going to accomplish that by daily interaction, by having the burden of going with the message and arming ourselves for the fight. I have said it in every gathering and I will say it tonight. Eternity is way too long, and hell is way too hot for your worst enemy to spend eternity there. What? What? I pray that you tell me, are you doing about it? Folks, the church is not brick and mortar the church is among men god said speaking of the through the prophet of old that i'll write my covenant on their heart it wasn't on stones but it was on the heart it wasn't in a tent with a golden box or in a limestone built temple in jerusalem the city of the jebusites that david conquered Where God would dwell, no. And today He dwells in us, in flesh and blood, those who are the saved. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. We are the temple, the dwelling place of God. And we are the church. And we've got to quit fooling ourselves that it's brick and mortar. I challenge you. Let's quit inviting them to come and let's go out there and get them. Let's go to them with the message. And let's pledge to daily be on the battlefield, holding each other's back as we are armed with the armor of God. I explained as I opened up our lesson tonight how to become a Christian. Your obedience takes you to the place where God saves you, and that's in immersion. You'll meet the blood. I demonstrated that our early church brothers and sisters were continually together in fellowship and one of the things that I find most interesting that I'm not so sure we have picked up on is not only in their fellowship were they together but in their fellowship together they were praising God and as a result they found favor with me. I challenge you tonight, if you're one of God's children and you've left that fellowship, you don't have the daily contact and praising God is not on your agenda, much less seeking the lost, I beg you to come home. God stands in wait. Jesus painted a beautiful picture of God in the prodigal son's father. That father stood and he watched. He looked down the trail that his boy had left on his joyful journey looking for his boy to come home. Jewish culture said that a daddy, a man of his wealth, his status in the community, didn't run. Running was something left for the lowly. But when that daddy recognized his boy headed home on that trail, no doubt he stunk. No doubt he didn't look anything like he had looked. No doubt because he had been wallowing with pigs. It wasn't the boy that left that came home. But in that picture that Jesus painted of God being the father and us being the child that left and came home, the scripture says this. And when he saw him afar off, he ran. God's waiting on his children who have left to come home. He's looking down the trail for you. And if you'll just start headed home, he'll run and he'll meet you. And he'll forgive you based upon your repentance. I'm thankful we have as a father a God of second chances. If you're here tonight and you're one of God's children, you've gone astray, come home. If we can pray for you and encourage you as you're on the battlefield and as we're out going with the gospel, realizing that the church is in flesh and blood, not brick and mortar, please, we can help you. come Come forward as together we stand and sing.